So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We're back. (laughs) We're back. And I hope that you can recall in your mind, you can pull up the file, as it were, of everything that we've said so far. And I'll rehearse a few things as we look into this new section here. This is verses... 14, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Before I uh, say that, I, I do want to say I almost did not preach this uh, this week. I almost took the entire sermon to do nothing but preach through every line of the new covenant that I'm proposing and we the leaders are proposing that we take on as a new church. I hope, And in just saying that, I hope you see how serious I am about it, that I would take a break even from preaching through verse by verse or something like we did last week to emphasize the covenant. So please take a copy and review it. But with that said, we are now returning uh, to Hebrews. And I'll read verses 14 through 16 for us. Hear the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. So we need to re-enter the context. No text in the Bible stands alone on its own two feet. Everything occurs in the stream of a particular context. And there's a lot that the author has said leading up to this point. He calls the whole book this word of exhortation. And he said a lot. Four whole chapters, essentially, up until this point. We need to remind ourselves of that, or we will miss the significance of what he's saying in these verses. Here are a few contrasts that you can have in your mind to kind of remember, pull back up in your mind, what we've talked about so far. The author has set in contrast several things, and here are a few of them. The words of the prophets versus the final word of the Son. The glory of the angels versus the glory of the Son of God. The faithfulness of Moses versus the faithfulness of the Son of God. The severity of judgment under the first covenant versus the intensified severity of the warning to be faithful under the new covenant. The call to obey under the old covenant and then the ultimate call to endure under this new covenant covenant. The Sabbath rest versus the final rest of God's people promised. The old covenant in general versus the new covenant. The whole point of these comparisons and these contrasts is to show us this is the author's intention. This is what he wants you to do. He is showing us how silly it would be to go back to what 
we had before. And that's the temptation for his hearers. They were receiving most likely persecution from the Jews and the Romans because of their commitment to Christ. And so the question is, why can't we just go back to being Jews? The Romans were all right with us being Jewish and other Jews were all right with us being Jewish. Why can't we just seamlessly exist within that community? Why do we have to be so different as Christians? Why do we have to be a peculiar people identifying with the guy who was murdered? and we say was raised from the dead and reigns forever. Now, why do we have to be that specific? Can't we just be good people? No. You can't. Identifying with Christ is so important because everything, all the glory of the Old Testament and all the severity of the judgments and all of that is just amped up even more in Christ. And that's what he's saying. In our text today, the author picks up this theme that he's already introduced. And this is one of the major themes that continues throughout the rest of the book, really to the end of chapter 10. We've mentioned it in two places. If you want to look there, Hebrews chapter 2. I know this was eons ago for some of you. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And also Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses, just as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So the author has already brought to our attention this idea of Jesus serving as our high priest. And it's almost like he's been giving us previews. You know, nowadays when a new movie comes out, they'll give you a teaser, right? And that's not even technically considered a preview. And then they'll give you uh, trailer one, trailer two, trailer three. So the author has essentially been doing that with this idea of the high priest. And he's been weaving it in as we've been going along, ideas that are even commensurate with him being our high priest, and he's been building his case. And now, at the end of chapter 4, he launches into this investigation of Jesus as our high priest. And it is so important, it runs through the rest of the book to the end of chapter 10 at least. With that said, at the conclusion of this sermon, I don't intend to exhaust everything there is to say about Jesus serving as our high priest. There's too much to say. And in fact, the author takes six chapters, some thereabouts, to cover this topic. At the same time, this passage helps us reintroduce what the author has been saying altogether, and it concludes the section that we've been looking at. So it is very important. It serves for us a reintroduction or a, a reminder of everything he's been talking about so far and to bring this to front and center. Jesus, your high priest. It's also important to remember that 
This encouragement, and I hope you felt encouraged as I read verses 14, 15, and 16 at the end of chapter 4. I hope that there was a little bit of a sense of encouragement. All through the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, it's been severe. It has been severe and stark warning to hold fast. And what will happen if you don't hold fast? What will happen if you don't continue in the faith? And so he concludes that severe warning with this encouragement that Jesus serves as your great high priest. Also, it's important to note that this Sabbath rest, this final rest of God's people that Jesus is bringing us into is something that he himself does for us. He has passed through the heavens, and we're going to talk more about that as we get into the meat of this. Jesus makes it possible He is the reason why we should be warned against unfaithfulness to him, but he is also the one who makes it possible even for us to attain that rest. And I hope that encourages you. So how to approach this text? Because of how much there is here, there's probably multiple different legitimate ways to approach this text, and I've chosen this way. I want to ask this question, and I want you to ask this question for yourself. Why do I need Jesus to serve as my great high priest? I think that's a fair question. Why do I need Jesus to serve as my great high priest? Most of us don't really feel on a day-to-day basis the need for a high priest. I'm just taking a guess out there. You don't wake up in the morning hoping that your high priest does his job well, as the Jews did. When the Jews were thinking about their existence as the people of God, it was a real concern for them that their high priest did his job well. So that when he went before the Ark of the Covenant once a year on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled the blood of the goat on both sides of the Ark, that that would be received by God and that your sins would be forgiven. It's a very pertinent concern for the people of God in the Old Testament that their high priest would function and do his job well and not fall into disobedience. There are so many things that we need in Christ, that we need him to do for us, that we don't even think about because of our cultural milieu. He's our king. The last king we had in the United States didn't really go so well. We had a tea party and got rid of him, right? He's also the prophet. We can think about Jesus as a prophet. Yeah, he comes and teaches the words of God and we read his words and you know maybe he functions as our prophet. But especially when it comes to his service towards you and me as our high priest, because we're so far separated from the Old Testament practices, we don't feel at a deep heart level the need for a high priest. So that's my intention for you this morning, that as we leave, that not that we would answer every question or explore every stone on this amazing topic, but that you would sense your deep need for Jesus to serve, not only as your priest, not only as your high priest, but you're a great high priest. And so he says, since then, we have a great high priest. 
So remember that question. Why do I need Jesus to serve as my great high priest? This is the first reason. You need Jesus as your great high priest because that is what he is. That may seem odd to say, but it is very important. He is for you, your great high priest. And so as it comes to understanding who Jesus is and coming to know him, He is your great high priest, whether you realize it or not, if you're a Christian. So you may not feel your need for a high priest, or you may not think of Jesus serving right now as your great high priest. And if that's the case, you're missing out on part of what Jesus is for you. For sure, he is your savior, he is your master, he is your Lord. But right now, his primary role towards you is your high priest. Don't let this, don't don't miss this, this idea. Don't don't let your, if you misunderstand everything else I'm going to say, don't let it be because you miss this idea. A baby is born with hands and feet and they don't know what in the world to do with them. Right? They have a heart and lungs and they don't even know it. So as a Christian, as a young baby Christian, you're born into this new community of faith, this covenant community in Christ's blood, and Jesus is serving as your high priest, and you may not even realize it. You may not even know what that means. But as you come into maturity, as you come to know Christ and who He is, as you progress in your understanding, it is important that you realize He is your great high priest. Part of what I'm trying to help you see is the glory of who Jesus is. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. The the idea, the prospect of knowing Jesus and who he is comes with this idea that he is your high priest. Do you know this Jesus? That's the mark of the true believer that you would want to know him more, not just as your Savior who died on the cross, as a one-time event in history, not just your Lord who will reign in power in the future, but right now, serving at the right hand of God as your high priest. Did you know Him that way? Do you want to know Him more? You need Jesus as your high priest because that's who He is. And at this point, it's important for us to ask this question, what even is a priest? Many of the young in our room here might be asking that question. What even is a priest? It's a person who takes the concerns and needs of the people to God. And at the same time, takes God's response and blessing to the people. So it's essentially a two-way street in the office of a priest. You take the concerns and the needs Needs for forgiveness, needs for blessing, and you take those needs and you carry it to God, and then you take God's response in what He gives and His blessing, and you bring that to the people. This is very important when we consider Jesus' role as our high priest. The high priest is the only one who can bring the sins of all the people to God for forgiveness. A great high priest is one who outranks all others. 
The Levitical priesthood, this Aaron and his son, serves as a shadow of the things to come. As we talked about in Sunday school, these are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. That What all the Old Testament priestly order was meant to show is that we need a great high priest. Not just a high priest who is the son of Aaron, but a great high priest, one who outranks all of them. And Jesus is that great high priest. And this is not imagery, like when we say that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. We're not literally saying that he is, in fact, a lion. He is like a lion. He has power. He is the king of the jungle, as it were. He's the greatest of all beasts, and he's not to be trifled with. So it's an image. That's not what we're saying when we say high priest. He is the great high priest. That's who Jesus really is. The whole Old Testament, the reason why the priestly order existed in the first place, was a shadow to point us to the future reality in Christ serving in this way for us. Think of the story when Aaron was about to die and God tells Moses, go up on this mountain and remove from him his priestly garments and put them on Eleazar his son so that he would serve as the high priest after him. So after Aaron's standing there, he, all of the priestly garments are taken off. What is he? He's just an old man. He's no longer the high priest. Eleazar is the high priest. That's not as it is with Jesus. Jesus goes up on a mountain and he's stripped of his clothes as they nail him to the cross. And in that moment, he is the great high priest. And he forever will be. So do you know him in that way? I hope this stirs in you a desire to understand as we spend, I don't know how many Sundays, getting to the end of chapter 10 and exploring the depths of what it means for Jesus to serve in this way as our high priest. I want you to want to know him in this way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. You need a great high priest, namely Jesus, because the most important things about your destiny and your hope and your future you have never seen. Consider that. The most important things about you, both negative and positive, are things you have never seen and places you have never been. You ever been to heaven? You ever been to the throne room of God? You ever seen his judgment seat? Have you ever seen his holy temple in heaven? Your greatest problem is your sin before a holy God and you have never seen his face. Your greatest hope is to abide with God forever in peace, and you have never seen that peace. You've never been there. And all of your life has been a tragic echo of the infantile peace of our first parents that they lost in the garden. Paul says the way of peace they have not known. We hope for peace. We want the peace of God, but we don't even know what that means. 
Do you know the rules of God's courtroom? Do you comprehend His holiness? His holiness so majestic it makes the earth break under its weight. Do you possess the ability to have the right amount of honor for the judge who sees all? He sees all time before him and he holds all existence together, even down to the individual atoms. Do you possess the ability to feel and be that reverent in his presence? Do you even know how to begin to ask for mercy, when to speak or if you should speak at all? But there you will stand. And it is there also that the the accuser every day brings charges against you. And he's trying to incite God's wrath against you that you even rightly deserve. And that and you're not even there to answer for yourself. You've never been there and never and I never have either. You're not even invited because your life condemns you regardless of what you could say with all eloquence to your own defense. This is why you need Jesus as your high priest. He has passed through the heavens. He's been there. He reigns from there. He was there before all time. Ruling forever with the Father in perfect peace. He knows the rules of the courtroom. He wrote them. He passed through the heavens, both in coming down to earth to take on human form and in returning to heaven as its victorious champion to rule as rightful king of all creation. Jesus alone has done this. Jesus knows all things. And he has been to places where our eyes cannot yet see. He has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. Only he has the right to stand there. He alone can speak to the Father on your behalf and contend your case because he has passed through the heavens. And there is a hint here of the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want to. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on his, him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You need that one working and serving as your high priest. You need a guide who has been there. You ever been on a tour or a vacation and you get a tour guide and 
they said, well, I've actually never been here. I've never read any books. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to show you what this is all about. It wouldn't make any sense. You want a guide, a representative, someone who has been there, and Jesus has even created it. He has passed through the heavens. Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. You need Jesus to serve as your high priest because He is the one that our confession is about. And we must endure to the end like Jesus. I'm sorry, that was the next one. (laughs) You need Jesus to be your great high priest because He is the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. You need Jesus to be your great high priest because He is, in fact, the Son of God. In this statement, it's both implied that the one we're dealing with, the main reason there is a need for a priest at all in the first place, is also the one who can serve as our high priest. He's calling us to a commitment. It was just what He's going to get to later. Let us hold fast to our confession The reason why we should be so serious about holding fast to this confession is because the confession itself is about Jesus. And He is the Son of God. So, though others could try to mediate between us and God, the only one who can stand for all time and mediate between us and God is God Himself. The Son of God is God Himself. He alone knows the Father, and He makes the Father known. No one has ever seen God, John says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand, He has made Him known. So who do you want taking your needs and your concerns and your need for forgiveness and bringing that concern to the Father? Do you want someone who is not God? Who do you want representing God and bringing God's blessings to you? Someone who is not God? Only God Himself can serve as the appropriate mediator between God and man. That's the only way it could work for all time. Think of this. God is triune. He's eternally one essence Three persons. That's what we believe as Christians. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We read it this morning. Baptizing them in the name, not names, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's incomprehensible. It can only be perceived by faith. So who do you want going on your behalf in your case before God? That God that is incomprehensible even in His essence and His nature, and His persons. That most basic doctrine about God and who He is is incomprehensible for us. You need one of the three persons of the Trinity taking your case to God Himself. No one else can understand it fully. And then He says, let us hold fast our confession. You need Jesus to serve as your great high priest because He is the one that the confession is about. And we need to endure to the end like Jesus. No one else lived a perfect life for us. Every other priest, what we're going to see in the coming chapters, is that the other priests have to offer sacrifice for their own sins. 
They have to come and appease God's wrath for their own sake before they can mediate appropriately for the sins of the people. Jesus doesn't need to do that. And also, a third party can only go so far in helping you. They can't empathize with you or really understand your situation or your case. Jesus is unique in his service of, as our great high priest because he endured to the end. He was faithful to him who appointed him in this ministry as our savior. He endured to the end perfect obedience And our confession is primarily about him, that Jesus is, in fact, the son of God. You need him to serve as your high priest because he is the one that our confession is about. So he's essentially doing three things at once here. He's appealing to them to cling to or hold fast to the confession about Jesus because of the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of him as our high priest. And he's underscoring our need for Jesus as our great high priest because he is uniquely able to serve as such. And third, he's encouraging us that we can, in fact, endure. We can, in fact, hold fast to this confession to the end because Jesus is helping us as our high priest. And this is exactly the direction he goes. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You need Jesus to serve as your great high priest because you and I are weak. You and I are weak. And we need someone to mediate between us and God who can be gentle and empathetic with us. Our culture doesn't like weakness. Every self-help book, almost every song you hear on the radio is trying to encourage you or change your mind about yourself so that you will see yourself as strong and powerful and able to conquer anything. Even many Christian books, there's this idea that you're so precious, you're so awesome, you can do all things completely out of context. But friend, you don't get all the benefits of Jesus and his ministry to you as your high priest unless this word functions over you as your banner, weaknesses. You and I are beset not by being weak occasionally, but by a myriad of weaknesses. Here's a few examples just to help you get a sense of how we struggle with weakness. You ever tried to pray for like five minutes without distractions entering your mind? Like Jesus says to the apostles, could you not have held watch and prayed with me for an hour. I don't know if I've ever been a place in my spiritual life where I've been able to devote undivided attention for an hour to God in prayer. Distractions come up almost every moment. We're beset by weaknesses, and Jesus is almost astonished by their lack of faith. Couldn't you just pray with me for an hour? 
Also, another example, just two very basic examples. We struggle with prayer, the most basic function of our relationship to God. You ever try to be humble? How's that working out for you? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Ever try to work on being more humble? And then you begin to look at yourself and how much progress you're making in being so much more humble and then you're back in the trap again. Pride is insidious. And it cloaks itself and it colors itself as humility. We have so many trends of false humility going on in our hearts even now. We are beset by weakness. Just two very simple examples show us how utterly weak we are. And you might feel strong and competent and able to do all sorts of things. And you might be very skilled. But in the things that matter most, you and I are very weak. So what are we to do? Are we just to wallow in our weaknesses? No. You and I are weak and it's all our fault. And whenever we try to strengthen ourselves, we tend to make matters worse like a child trying to clean up their own mess in the bathroom. Just can make matters all the more worse. At the same time, God is the one that we have to answer to. God is our biggest problem because of our sin. And God is our biggest need because we need forgiveness of that sin. So what are we to do? We need a great high priest. One who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. We need one who is not so great that he is unable to relate to our weaknesses or that if he is great, he is great in such a way that it doesn't make him unable to relate to our weaknesses. But at the same time, we can't make him any smaller or less great because he needs to be able to represent our case to God forever. We need such a great high priest who is without any compromise to his holiness so that he doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Completely perfect is at the same time able to empathize with us in our weakness. The only one who is like that is Jesus. Because he took on human frailty. He took on human flesh being found in human form. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Being made lowest of low. Born in a stable. The only one who is this way is Jesus. And this, these are two statements that just kind of color this from the Gospels. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He is gentle with you because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Not just because he knows it from his infinite knowledge, but because he became flesh. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
You need Jesus as your great high priest because we have sin. And though he was tempted as we are, he never sinned. It says, in every respect, regardless of what time period you're from, what gender you are, what job you have, how old you are, how many kids you have, in every respect, he was tempted as we are. He is able to relate to you and me, regardless of what your situation is, because he took on human form. That's the glory of the incarnation, that being human, being merely human, enabled him to relate to people from all time. And serve as their high priest. We can often think that Jesus had it easier than we did. Because Jesus doesn't have a sin nature like we do. Maybe it was easier for him to deal with the weakness of human flesh. But here's the deal. He didn't insist on his own. No one in the history of the world ever had a right to insist on their own except Jesus. And God's plan for Jesus was specifically that he would not insist on his own and rather become a servant, emptying himself of all of his rights, all of his Rights to insist on his own way, to have everyone serve him. The Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's this massive role reversal. The one who should be ruling and being served by everyone takes on the form of a servant. That's why it was harder and more difficult an act of obedience for Jesus to do what the Father sent him to do than it is for you and me to obey in the way that we have to. There was agony in his obedience. You can just turn forward to Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10, and I really can't wait until we get to these passages. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Agony. Distress. That's what Jesus endured to become a high priest. And then he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of of grace. You need Jesus to be your great high priest because we need to draw near to God. We don't want to be just left out in the cold waiting on the outside of the tent of meeting while the priest goes in and speaks to God on our behalf and then comes to tell us his answer. We want to draw near. We should want to be reconciled with God so that we can be one with him. The verb here, to draw near, is what the Greek Old Testament uses to describe the service of priests. Let us then with confidence draw near. Jesus, as your high priest, enables you not to just be under his service as your great high priest, but to become a priest yourself. If you go to 1 Peter 
chapter 2, you see that God in Christ has created in you and me a nation of royal and holy priests. That we are not just left outside as the dirty sinners who need someone to mediate between God and man, but we have been so transformed by the work of our great high priest that we can now minister to God and offer sacrifices of praise that are acceptable to God himself. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. If we are to approach God at all, it must be on the basis of His grace. We need to draw near to this throne of grace. And the only one who enables us to do so and to even join in His priestly ministry of ministering to God is by His work. That we may receive mercy... You need Jesus to serve as your high priest because it is only in his death that we receive mercy. The main thing we need, friends, is not a new way of seeing things, though we need that. Not more education, though that's great. Not more good programs, though those can be helpful. Not more good theology, though I love that. Not more faithfulness, though we absolutely do need that. What we need most is not more evangelism, though we should be doing that. What we need most is not more church members, though that would be great. Not more Christian leaders, though that is wonderful. Not better laws, though we should all vote for better leaders. Not healing from sickness, though we should pray for that. Not a new job, though that would be great. Not better sleep, not better parenting skills, and not even better marriages. All of these are great blessings, but they're not what we need most. What you and I need most is mercy. We need God's Mercy. Do you remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee? The Pharisee thanks God for all the good things that God has given him. And he looks up to heaven and he's so thankful for God's grace on his life and his blessing. But the tax collector stands far off and he beats his chest and he says, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's not just a distinction of the way that you approach God, your justification hangs on it. This man went down to his house justified and not the other. You and I need mercy because we have sinned. We have incurred the wrath of God and the only thing that prevents that wrath from coming on you and me is God's mercy. And the only place where mercy can be meted out is in the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on your behalf. But not just so that we can receive mercy. It doesn't stop there. So that we might find grace to help in time of need. Jesus' high priestly service goes beyond that one point in time, that magnificent moment where he died in your place to administer God's mercy to his people, absorbing his wrath. But he also administers God's help. The call is to endure. And everything I've said in the weeks prior when we were talking about the call to endure, the call to hold fast, the call to cling to Christ, Maybe that was discouraging. Maybe that was harsh. Maybe you received that as wearying. 
But Jesus offers grace and help in time of need. He works as your high priest, doling out the blessings of God to you to enable you to endure to the end. So I hope this has excited you that you have begun to see your need for Jesus as your great high priest. In the coming weeks, we'll see more and more of how glorious that is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a great high priest as Jesus. We are beset by weaknesses and we ask that we would receive your help in time of need, that you would have mercy on us. And that by his work on our behalf, in your presence, even now, that you would strengthen us to endure to the end. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.